but it's it's math the way that like Stu Black was saying, yeah, Eldar extremely well designed. Yeah, no shit, but not for the oh, man, not for are. everyone else. <laughs> they are beautifully designed. They work really well. Oh yeah. <laughs> Perfect. Whoever wrote the Eldar Codex nailed it. Now they need to have all the rest of them be equally good. Welcome to Preferred Enemies, the Warhammer 40k podcast that's uh, looking at the end of the first quarter. I'm your host, Rob. Kevin. Dennis. And Richard. And uh, yeah, today we are going to look at the end of effectively the first quarter. The first, we're not quite at three months, although we've had an extra month to look at the the rule set, uh, thanks to GW providing us preview copies back in May. But uh, we're coming in on the the end of the first quarter of the year uh, with uh, 10th edition. We know September is probably going to bring us our first major points update and possibly a a balanced data slate as well, judging from the latest MetaWatch article, which um, I think definitely highlighted what some of the issues are with the edition. And we will get into that like probably near the end. but uh, it, it's it's interesting to see what the response is going to be. But we wanted to take this opportunity to kind of grade the uh, the edition and and say you know kind of give our feelings on how we feel the game has ha- how the game has been managed and and what the game is accomplishing over this last you know three month period. And so we broke this down. We actually decided to grade everything on an A through F scale, and we broke it down into one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. We broke it down into nine separate categories. Uh, those categories are uh, the lead up and transition. How well did Games Workshop handle the rollout of 10th edition? The core rules. How does the game play overall? And are there any gotchas or sticking points or unclear bits? Uh, the Leviathan mission pack. How well are those new missions and cards working? Ease of play and speed of play. Has the game been streamlined? Has it been made simplified but not simple? Uh, Army building. Are these new army building rules working as intended? Uh, Rules accessibility. How well have the rules been made available to the player base? Uh, New player accessibility. Is the game easy to get into for new players? Uh, Execution of new ideas. How have things like objective control, battleshock, leaders and bodyguards, etc. worked, and are they working as intended? And finally, faction balance. Are armies balanced against one another as well as within a codex? Uh, We are saving that one for last. That's obviously going to be the uh, a big point of uh, discussion. Uh, but we're going to start it off at the beginning. Uh, this this quarter, we saw 10th edition. And I think it's, a, it's fair to include May and early June in this because that's when they started rolling out the rules previews, faction previews. We actually got like the data sheets before launch, which was surprising. Yeah, very big. And we got like all the different faction previews and kind of breaking down what the uh, 
you know, how the edition was going to differ from past editions and especially from different from ninth. And so uh, going through the grades uh, and I had everyone give separate grades and these were all given it given without any discussion or coordination between us. So it's uh, these are all our own individual opinions. I gave uh, the lead up in transition a B plus. Dennis also gave it a B plus. Uh, Richard, you also gave it a B plus, and Kevin, you are the outlier, giving it an A. <laughs> <laughs> so, Kevin, uh, you want to explain uh, why you gave it such a high grade? Yeah, I think just the openness of being, you know, providing the previews and and you know the the amount of detail they went into in the live stream announcing the the edition change, um, you know, and and kind of clearly laying out ahead of time what their goals and priority for the edition were. I, I was I said at the time, I think I was like, well, it seems a little weird to do a whole like refresh. I don't know if they necessarily needed to do that and like wipe out all the codexes, but you know, I think they they explained their logic and why they did it and what they were going for pretty well. And they did a really good job with like I said, with just the preview articles and getting the data sheets out there and getting getting information out to the players, building hype for this edition. Um so I think they did, you know, everything they everything right in that regard. I don't disagree with that. I think they did a very good job of getting information out and letting people know how, like, how is your army going to play? Getting the rules out ahead of launch, I think, was huge. Yeah, the the fact that you could literally hit the ground running and play mm-hmm. launch weekend, if not the week before the uh, Leviathan box set dropped, I think was very good. And I'll also even say, as, as compared to like Leviathan, the, the Leviathan launch itself compared to uh, Indominus, that's also a big part of it for me because Indominus sold out super quick and was very hard to get to. There were plenty of Leviathan boxes available. You didn't feel like you had to rush to get the box. You didn't feel like you had to get the box to start playing the edition. You know, the mm-hmm. rule books and the other stuff was out there as well. I, I think they they really did a really good job of alleviating that bottleneck compared directly to Indominus. And obviously Indominus was released during COVID. There was other considerations as well, supply chain issues, stuff like that. But I do think that that was a big part of me also giving it an A because the launch weekend, you could go to a store and pick up boxes. Yeah. So I'll agree with all your stuff there, Kevin. I included something else in my thinking, which was the index cards as part of the rollout. And that was a kerfuffle, at least here in Texas, where you had stores actively telling you, go buy it from GW. We're not going to have stock. Yeah, that's true. You know, that's fair, too. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It, and I think the the fact that, yeah, the, the index cards were hard to get if you got the right ones. Right, Richard? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But, uh, yeah, the index cards, I think also for me, the price of the index cards for now, for most people who play like one, maybe two armies, not so much of an issue for those of us who have a problem. Uh, I was looking at like, if I bought index cards for everything I play, it was going to be in the $250 range. So I, I, I didn't, and I haven't. I printed my own Tau ones, and for playing games with other factions, I've just been printing out the data sheets I want, which I do appreciate the PDFs being available, and we'll get to that yes. when we get to rules accessibility. Um, another reason I docked points on uh, on this was the roll-up and tr- the rollout and transition. There were a couple of things that were marred by 
weird delays on some of the PDFs being released, like the Combat Patrol uh, armies, like the data sheets came out. We didn't get the actual missions and rules for Combat Patrol that were supposed to be available for free for like another week. Like that was weird. There were some weird delays on like boarding actions getting they they got their rules very at the very very end. Um, there were just a, a couple of hitches that kept me from wanting to give it a full A. Uh, so, but I do think overall it was handled pretty well. A B is still a, a B plus is still a high above average. Um, I've definitely seen rollouts for other games and addition changes not handled nearly this well. So I think overall they did a good job, just not not a perfect job for sure, but a pretty good job. I will say I'm pleased with the way this rolled out. I thought it was like you echoed there, the smoothest rollout I've seen of an addition. Um, so yeah. And just being able to hit the ground running day one just felt phenomenal. Cause I mean, I remember, I guess, what was it? Sixth or seventh going to game stores, lining up at midnight to try and get the books and then rushing home, get a couple hours of sleep. So you could like play with your friends the next day. And, it kind of felt refreshing that we didn't have to do that type of thing either. So I, I really love the rollout for me. It was just a, just little hiccups. But I mean, B plus is what I gave it, and which was still, I think, a very solid score. Agreed. Okay. Uh, so next up, uh, let's look at the core rules, how the game plays overall, and whether there are any gotchas, sticking points, or unclear parts. Um, this one, uh, we've got... Uh, I gave the core rules a B. Dennis, you also gave it a B. Kevin, you gave it a B plus. And Richard, you were the kindest with an A minus. Uh, Want to explain why why you were uh, kind of friendly towards you know more friendly than we were? Not that we were mean, but you know that you were, you were kind of gave it a, a better grade. Well, uh, I think. Uh, especially coming from the last edition and not having played a whole lot of games and by comparison, not really liking the way like games scored in the last edition and going to the way games score in this edition and like a lot of the, the new features on how morale works is a lot more straightforward, I think, and more interesting than just, oh, like your guys got scared and, you ra- and ran away, so they're just, you just pull the models off the table. Like, always, like, felt bad because, like, the models didn't die, but they aren't on the table anymore. So, th- those are, those are big kind of features, I think, that I like. And, and it was still familiar enough, like, that, you know, I kind of already knew a lot of, you know, how the game played, but did feel more streamlined and like the, I know that's a, a later thing, but like it, it felt like a good balance of being streamlined and simplified without being too oversimplistic. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's fair. I, I do think they did a good job of of keeping the rules. And in, as you said, this is you know kind of a, a separate category, but I think they did do a good job of making the rules relatively clear, easy to follow. I think the reason I will say as 
the reason I gave it a B is tied directly to being a Tau player, and I think this also ties <laughs> in with some of the Leviathan stuff. Uh, specifically, there's one phrase that no one can seem to explain or or work through how it actually works, and that is eligible to shoot. Because apparently, like, while eligible to shoot, the rules specifically say you didn't fall back and you didn't advance. Eligible to shoot apparently does not also include you've already shot, which is weird to me. It's like if you have shot, you are no longer eligible to be selected to shoot, but you're still considered, depending on who you ask, eligible to shoot, which ties directly into the Tau guiding rule. Can a unit that has been guided guide someone else or yeah it's like the towel have been trying top players have been trying to figure out if they can daisy chain it or not Meyer, i don't believe they can rules is written but that's also based on the idea that if you have already shot you are no longer eligible to shoot which also gets into like how some of the secondary objectives are scored like hey a unit can do this if they're eligible to shoot and some events have actually were you know ruled that oh yeah it doesn't you can shoot and still score this because unless it says you can't shoot because you're eligible to shoot so that's fine it's like ah that's that's a mess and that's something that has not been addressed in the rules commentary and it i think it's a big issue uh, there's also a couple of things uh, with the fly rules I think are a bit of a mess, uh, especially for vehicles, because now fly, while I do think it's kind of a neat idea that fly measures the diagonal as you're going over a building, uh, now you just want to fly around buildings because you lose too much movement going up and then down. Especially um, since I, they want to make them tall enough for to hide towering units. Yeah, fly <laughs> fly is actually a detriment unless you are flying infantry, in which case you can just move through the building, which you could already do because you were infantry. The only difference is you can fly across other units. So uh, fly is a bit of a mess. Um, and like I said, eligible to shoot is a little bit weird. Towering, I don't find towering all that bothering, but I... I I think it's when towering is tied to a couple of particular units, it's bad, but that's more an issue with those units than it is with the rule itself. Like, there's a couple things in in the train rules that could probably use some revision. Overall, I think it's pretty good, but there's definitely a couple of issues that I, at least in the circles that I I follow, have definitely made themselves apparent. Right. I, I think from the games I've done with the core rules, I think there's two types of gotchas. Um, the first one is, this is how it worked in ninth, but it doesn't work that way in 10th. And that's a gotcha. I don't put that on the, the game design. I think that's more, it's there, you just have to read it and, and play with it. Agreed. But then what did knock it down from an A for me was the fact that there are those gotchas that still are in rules confusion. And it did take them, what, a week, week and a half to get out the um, commentary that clarified some of the, the issues and questions people had. Um, and then I was like, there was one Votan thing as we're going that that was totally unusable until recently where they clarified because it was like a enhancement you could put on your guy that who does it in the command phase to make your guys better until the end of phase and i'm like um i i i can't shoot guys or do anything during the command <laughs> right. phase so they they amended it and said oh this is supposed to be to, until the the end or the start of your next command phase i'm like that makes mm-hmm. sense 
And, and so some of yeah, it's I, printing I, errors I, or clarifications. But go ahead, Richard. Yeah, yeah. I think because I think in one of our games, Rob, like we ran into like one of my Tyranid like stratagems had like a similar thing where it, like said it did something till the end of the phase, but like that meant that it, it did matter. nothing. Right. Right. And there's been a few of those, <laughs> yeah, that have been mm-hmm. people have caught. And, and just like on, on, but all in all, I, I think the core rules are solid, which we'll get into later. But for me, it's just the discrepancies in the player gotchas or the rules are there. You need to read them. And then the gotchas for stuff that just still needs clarification, which I never assumed it would be a perfect. They got everything clear, even though I know that's their goal. Um, cause players are always going to rules lawyers and try and find loopholes. Um, and I, I even see that here a lot. Um, but yeah, I'd say overall it's it's solid. There's just a few little gotchas that still need a little bit ironing out. Yeah, agreed. Um, so moving on to our third category, the Leviathan Mission Pack. How well are the new missions and cards working? Uh, this one we have a pretty even split. Uh, I gave the addition. I, I gave this category a C plus. Uh, Kevin, you also gave it a C plus. Uh, Dennis, you gave it a B plus. Richard, you gave it a B. Um, this time, Kevin, you and I both came in pretty harsh on it. You want to explain uh, why you gave it, you gave it a C plus, and I'll see if I agree with that. So this is probably the one area that I'm most split on because I really do like a lot of the concepts for the missions. I like you know being able to you know use the cards and kind of customize the missions as you go along. I think that concept's really great. I've always liked the Total War deck and the Maelstrom of War decks from previous editions. That concept I really like. The problem that I have with the mission designs is there's a couple of missions. Uh, I'm sure we'll talk about specifics uh, that are just bad. They're just poorly designed missions. For example, they allow you to finish with a 100 to 100 tie. Um, (laughs) Yep. And, you know, it it makes it... uh, Some of the missions are tedious as far as, like, moving objectives around or repositioning things on the table, especially if you have the, you know, the, the... the mat objective markers, which, you know, GW themselves is selling. So it's kind of weird that they made that and made it so difficult. Uh, and then other, the other part of it is like, while I like the concepts of the static versus the um, pr- uh, dynamic secondaries, the thing I'll say with that is like, I love the concept. I love that you can choose, but looking at, I think the, the, the stats on the last couple of meta watches, they're like, Oh yeah. Like 80% of players are playing the, um, uh, I forget what they're called, but the dynamic tactical, sec- tactical, tactical secondaries. And if 80% of your player base is doing something and not the other, that means it's not balanced. Like ideally, I think you want that where people are picking that at a much closer to 50, 50 rate, you know, where it's like, well, you could choose the, the static objectives or the tactical objectives and you get to the same place. And most people realize that, well, nope, the tactical objectives are far better. Um, and then kind of along those lines, the gambits, which I get the gambit is completely a, uh, you know, a last ditch effort thing, but you know, I'm not seeing most people, I'm not seeing people really use those that much, at least personally. And you know, it's, it, it feels like if you're ever in a position to do a gambit, the gambit itself isn't really going to help. Like you're already down too far. So 
I don't know. I think all I think there's some really good concepts in there. I think the execution on a few specific things is slightly off. Yeah, I th- I think that's pretty much where I I land on it as well. Um and yes, uh the rich ritual and servo skulls are actively bad missions. Yes. Uh, sir, and, and yeah, you brought up the the neoprene objectives that GW sells at at like the uh, U.S. Opens. So it's mm-hmm. like you sell the products, you know that people use these. This was such a bad idea to have to force people who are used to using these because of the ease of play that they bring for determining mm-hmm. who's controlling what to make people move these around with terrain and models on them. Uh, it, it's a mission that works really well when you can't stand on an objective marker and the objective marker is a yes. 40 millimeter puck. But when you can stand on the objective marker as you can specifically can in the competitive packet, yeah, it's it's actively bad. The ritual setting up objectives is actively bad. Uh, some are just so much easier to score than others. Uh, like take and hold where it's just like hold one, hold two, hold three versus like the there's like the one where it's like take hold you know, like hold one hold two and burn down objectives at the end of the game is it, like some of them are just strangely worded um the fact that like looking at the leviathan mission pack i think roughly a third to half of the missions use chilling rain as the rules twist which is no effect at all it's like it tells me you really and and the others that are used are primarily either player placed objectives or um at one extra objective like those are the ones that come up the most i think there's one or two that use the scrambler where like you can't like advance like you can't enter like deploy anywhere outside your deployment zone Uh, but that was so annoying when it came up uh, and it's like this there's a number of issues. Yeah. Uh, also the fact that like ta- tactical is fun. I would also point out that some of the tactical objectives are absolute garbage. Yeah. Uh, hit signals in the four corners. Yep. <laughs> I mean, you cannot, there's no way to max that one out unless you are already just dominating the game mm-hmm. or and, and b- having to scout be- moves later. Yeah. Well, and also it's like, even like that comes up first turn, you literally yeah. cannot score. You, Correct. It's one of the ones you cannot max it out. And in some cases, depending on how you deploy, you're lucky to get two of them. Like depending on how the deployment zones are set up, you but are lucky to get two, and you can't plan for it. At least there's the benefit of you can get a CP from it. Yeah, by I mean, I, it. <laughs> I do, I do like that aspect of it. I do think that you know, being I don't ever feel like I'm stuck with an objective. And I want to point out, uh, Goonhammer did a uh, secondary objective statistics hammer of math article just like a, f- a week ago, and they actually break down like how secondary scoring is working for both fixed and tactical missions, like how much VP is generated on average from these, because uh, they they're collecting all this data from the Tabletop Battles app, which is really cool that they have all this. And, like, what are the odds that a mission is going to be completed? What are the odds by battle round? I mean, there's a very solid breakdown. It actually shows that it's better to hold on to an objective that you might score than ditch it and go for a random one. 
you know, hold hold one from turn to turn. Uh, they also ran one earlier on gambits. Yeah, gambits are an absolute failure. Nobody like the number of people. Like I think it's like a less like maybe less than two percent of players are using gambits in games. Well, here's the thing about the gambits. It's at the end of turn three, and by that time. If you're already losing, most of your army's probably been shot off the board, and most all of those require you to get your army either out of the center or to the center. It's just, I don't have that many more units because they're all dead. I and mean, if right. the gambits were something that didn't require you to have like eight units on the board, uh, I mean, I might right. exaggerate a little bit, but you have to have so much. It's just, they're, they're not usable. And I guess I'll, I'll jump in here with you. Yeah, I gave it a high score because I just, kind of was tailoring it based off my games here in the Dallas area, which thankfully I haven't ran into servo skulls. Nobody uses the gambits. Um, and I think everyone has learned early on tactical was the way to go because fixed don't get you enough points. Cause people, I mean, they don't intentionally do it, but the way they build their lists, um, you just, there's not a lot of characters to do assassination. There's not a lot of monster. I mean, people are still kind of, bringing a variety and now if there were people that did a list of like i'm all knights maybe do fixed for killing big things but uh, i don't know but yeah that's why i give it highs because it's been the secondaries have been other than investigate signals have been fun to do um and i i don't knock that too much because i just ditch it and get a cp and i need cp so much in these games that i don't feel it's a penalty to give up VP for a CP. That sounds weird. Um, <laughs> but your, your, your GP or your HP. <laughs> right. But that goes to the fact that the fixed missions, if you take those secondaries, you don't get the bonus of having a way to get extra um, CP. So to those regards, I agree with you, Kevin, that fixed missions and the uh, gambits don't really work. Um, as for the primary missions, um, yeah, I will acknowledge that some of them are bad, but I think people are just going to not play those and the deck still works even if you pull those cards out. (laughs) Yeah, it's just, it's just a problem when you only have like six primary missions and two of them suck. Like it's, that's a problem. (laughs) Fair. Yeah. I love I love the concepts. I love the deck. I love what they're trying to do. I just the execution's off. Agreed. Yeah. And and like I will say they work well, unlike in the past. I think they work equally well at different point levels because I like Richard, your your games with me at a thousand points had like they've felt just as impactful as they have when I've played at like two thousand point tournament level. Yeah. Yeah. I, I will say the one of the things that made me like give this like one of the the lower grades that I gave was the fact that the the set of cards that I got was misprinted. <laughs> yep. Yeah, th- I think that is a fair. That's the other mm. thing is like if you didn't get the Leviathan box set, you don't have the cards because I don't think they've they had to recall them all, and I don't think they've re released them yet, which is a bit of a problem if that's the primary way your game is scored. Um, yeah, I, I, I think that that's probably the other weakness is there's no alternative outside of third party apps like the tabletop battles app does have, uh, the list of secondaries and you can just have it randomly generate there. And that may, that really helps. Um, so I, I think I, I, 
it's it's a it's a good idea. I think yeah, the execution leaves a little bit to be desired. I think th- hopefully they'll take some of the the lessons from this, and when we get the next season, whether that's in six months or a year, um, we'll see like a revised version of this. But oh, and yeah, I was looking at the numbers on Gambit. I I was wrong. It was less than a percent of players. Like each particular Gambit. I think it's 1.9% of games played used it. Um, each given one is selected less than a uh, of those is like like in 0.4% of games people picked delaying tactics. 0.6% of games picked emergency evacuation. 0.9% of games picked orbital strike co- coordinates. In all of those, the win rate when you selected those gambits for the game, never more than 12%. It, the gambits do not allow, and even when you are successful, the win rate is at best fifty percent. Gambits do not meaningfully swing the game, even if you pull it off. So yeah, I don't think gambits are a success. I, I the the hail mary pass is absolutely a hail mary pass, but most people just don't interact with it at all. I I don't think I've seen a game where at turn three people are like you want to pick a gambit, it never comes up. All right, uh, our next category, and we've kind of touched on this one a little bit, ease of play and speed of play. Has the game been streamlined? Is it simplified but simple, or but not simple? And I think our, our grades are all pretty much on the same same track here. Uh, uh, Dennis and I gave it B pluses. Kevin and Richard gave it Bs. I'd say that's all pretty much in the same ballpark. Yeah, for sure. I mean, for, for me, ease of play, definitely easier to play, and... I've touted this before. I like combat patrol as a way to ease into it and then go from graduate from there to the upper tier of regular games. Um, speed of play, unfortunately, I don't see any difference in, but it's not a negative. It's just, it's taking about the same amount of time to get a game in. Oh, well, yeah. One of the big things, like I, I kind of, I asked to put like this category in so I could kind of talk about this. Like, one of the big things that they talked about with this edition compared to last edition was getting rid of a lot of the fiddly bits, getting rid of the stratagems and the extra things that you have to remember for you know to play a game. But I think what they've ended up doing, at least initially, and this will probably get better as you play more games and kind of fine-tune your army, but what I've realized now is like I have my cards set out for the missions. And then I've got a set of cards set up over here for all of my units. And then I've got my faction rules and I've got my, you know, casino of corn dice pool. And like, (laughs) it doesn't feel like it's let, like you're playing less of mini games than you were in at ninth edition, which everyone's like, Oh, that was a big problem in ninth is you got to remember all these strategies. You got to remember these cards. And it's like, I feel like it's still in that same spot. It's just shuffled it around a little bit differently. Perhaps as we get further into the edition, people get more familiar with their their unit cards, their you know their faction rules, things like that. Maybe it won't be as big a deal, but it doesn't feel like the ease of play part of this is any is any you know more streamlined than it was last edition. Well, I'll agree, but at the same time, Kevin, I like the stratagems shrinking from like twenty something to six. Oh, I, agree I have in that a, regard, so much yeah. easier time to remember six. I agree. And I and I think what they've done is they've simplified the stratagems, but I think they've made it where by 
pushing more stuff to the units, putting all of the weapon profiles on the unit cards, you now are shuffling between unit cards the same way you were shuffling, shuffling between stratagems. And like, that's, that's my own thing. It's like, I still feel like I have a stack of cards in the corner of the table that when I go to shoot, I'm like, okay, well, let me look at this. Let me check this rule. Because, you know, I, I don't feel like they've streamlined any of that part of it. And for me, to be fair, I was already still shuffling between my... I mean, I still had my pretty scribe stuff where I'd go from unit to unit. And having what used to be, I guess, like you said, a stratagem rolled into the unit data sheet, it makes it so much easier that when I look at that unit, I have everything there. I don't have to have there. Okay, now what can else can I do and... and go to other places. Yes, we still have the same number of extra piles of things, as you were saying, but it's streamlined to where everything I need for this unit is here, and I'm good to go. And so I, I appreciate that part of it. Yeah, and like I said, I, I definitely concede that as we get further into the edition, maybe that'll get easier and, and for people to manage, but for right now, at least initially, it can kind of feel overwhelming where it's you know, we're playing it. We're playing a new, you know, playing a game. And I can remember, okay, where do I, where did I put the cards for the mission? Okay. The cart, you know, the missions here, this is the mission we're playing. This is, you know, this is the stratagems that I have. This is my faction stratagems. This is the core stratagems. This is my unit rules, things like that. So like I said, perhaps that'll, that'll get better as we get, as you just get more games in, but that could be, that felt a little overwhelming at the beginning, you know, in the first, at the beginning here, uh, in a way that I wasn't really expecting. I was like, oh, they're going to streamline all this and make it simpler, and it didn't feel appreciably different. Yeah, and th- that's fair. And I, I also, like, there's a few things I do like. I think, like, getting rid of the psychic phase has been good uh, for streamlining the game and cutting out a phase where a good third of the armies just do not interact with it in any meaningful way. I but mean, it's still I'm, there, and you have to address it. And I'm, I'm glad it's sad gone. about losing the phase, but I understand why it's gone and accepting it <laughs> as primarily a Tau and uh, Tau and Sisters player. Uh, I don't miss it because I didn't do anything in it, and I had no way to do anything about it. That was the other the other thing that was you, really frustrating. You have a unit in the Sisters Army that could. Well, I mean. Technically, in ninth, any addition or any unit could deny, but it never oh, worked. Well, I was more <laughs> talking about the the um, inferior stern, not stern, uh, the demon flage. Now, the demon fuge, yes, demonifuge, yes, because she could do psychic or stuff in the psychic phase. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, but. <laughs> No, she could deny. I imagine. Oh. No, she had a power that was a smite that wasn't smite. Yeah. Uh, she just but, got to do it. <laughs> but it's like, other than that, like, I do feel like having a lot of things, like, uh, other things, like, I'm a big fan of the Universal Special Rules. That definitely pulled the grade up for me. Having those coming back and having standard things like Deep Strike always being the same explodes as a deadly demise. Like, that, having that consistent is fantastic. Having just a lot of things based off of keywords, very, very good. Um, I think had, you know, bringing down the number of strats I had to manage from, you know, to a list of like, what about 12 to 16 universals that may or may not come up all that often and six for my faction and detachment. 
very easy. Most of the army rules are pretty streamlined. Most of the detachment rules aren't aren't too bad. Um, but uh, but yeah, I think I, I definitely it doesn't it doesn't feel like it plays any faster. I do feel like I'm shuffling around unit cards, even if I'm just filtered down to just the units I'm using. I still, when I was playing at uh, Show Me Showdown, I still had like 14 unit cards and I had them kind of grouped together on the table based by like kind of what operates together or has similar roles. And I'd have to be shifting between them and they've offloaded most of the complexity to the individual units, which... I think that's debatable how good that is, but as as an overall system, I think it does it. Nine was already ninth was already a pretty good, pretty streamlined rule system. Like we compared it to one page rules and didn't find it wildly different, other than the fact that one page rules decided that they needed fewer stats. But otherwise, like they played it, other than that and alternating activations. They played pretty similarly. They didn't feel like they played all that differently. And ninth was already pretty streamlined. Tenth has streamlined it even further. But I don't feel like they streamlined it so much that it doesn't feel like 40K. Like, there's a, there's a point where you can cut away too much. And I think they threaded that needle pretty well. But I don't feel like the games are much faster, especially with if you didn't have your cards, because as we addressed the that was an issue uh richard i know like when you were using the app that was time consuming just swapping between units in the app yeah yeah like it it was a little i felt it to be a little cumbersome just based on i mean on on like an ipad i think it probably would have been better just because it's easier to read and 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 larger surface area so it makes it easier to, you know, hit the right button and and not like go back too far and. But that and and they've updated the app to where it works a little bit better now. Like, like the organization is is a little better in the app now than it initially was guess i'll toss two things one yeah i think the cards are still better than the app in my mind just because you can have it there and ready and also you can see everything on a card while in the app um you have to go into the unit you have to then select whether it's melee range because they have drop downs or, or expandables for each of the categories and then if you have to go look if you have a squad with a leader well you'd have either two cards you can have sitting out but if you're in the app you have to go into the squad okay well now the leader's doing something exit that part go to the leader check his card and but that also i want to jump back to the psychic thing of we now since there's no more psychic phase if you have anything that has psychic defense you have to be asking your opponent okay is that attack you did a psychic attack cuz i have mm, defense against yeah. it so that's a little clunky, but like I guess Kevin was saying earlier, as we play more games and get used to things, it probably won't feel bad asking if that's a psychic or if people start telling, hey, this is a psychic one off the bat. Right. No, I don't disagree with that. It it'll, it it's it will get faster as we get used to it. We are only like not quite three months in, but yeah. uh, hopefully. No, I better. feel this. 
I feel there's definitely a lot of room to grow in this area, and I think the players will kind of catch up, and this will this grade will go up. So, I think the tools are there. I think it's just getting used to everything. <clears throat> um, speaking of tools, uh, let's move on to army building, and especially you know, we've been talking about the app, so let's talk about army building. Army building are the new army building rules working as intended? On this yes. one. Uh, <laughs> Richard and I both gave the edition a B. Dennis, you gave it a B plus. Kevin, you gave it an A minus. Kevin, uh, why so kind? I mean, I think the idea, you know, the whole concept of like opening it up and making it, you know, opening up army flexibility and letting people take different things. You still have to take a leader, battle line, things like that. Um, I think works, you know, it works in Sigmar. It works here. Um, you know, it opens up army building for these different factions. How many times have we talked about, like, going back to 5th edition? Um, or, you know, prior to that of, like, well, Tyranids have, are overloaded in the elite slots and can only take three of these. Um, or I really want to be able to take, you know, this type of stuff, but I just don't have the slots for it. And I think this army building format is probably the best, most flexible way they've, they've done uh, to make to make these unique army lists, to be able to uh, allow people to take things, but not just flood the field with the same units. Um, obviously this kind of gets into some of the balance, the faction balance stuff a little bit later. And we can talk about that and how army building losing some of the structure, like causes some other issues in other areas. But I think what they intended as far as like giving players the flexibility to take what units you want, build the, fluffy themed armies that you want i think it's working almost perfectly as intended um i i don't disagree that the possibility is there i think where it breaks down is like for example we used to have what we would call the troops tax like unless you were going to build a detachment that was just going to bleed cp or you know build an army because it was going to bleed cp with because you were using non-troop based attachments you would have to take troops well obviously we don't have battlefield rules anymore but we do still have the battle line keyword and you can really max out on battle line units if you want I don't think anyone is. I don't think anyone really cares about battle line. Um, OC, even units that are like OC2, you might see them a bit, but for the most part, people are going for killing units. They're going for killing power because it's just like, I can kill a unit off an objective and stand on the objective, and the fact that I'm OC1 doesn't matter. I, I do like a lot of the flexibility, though. I like being able to just put together what I want. And I, it does lean in, I think, to a bit of the mono build issue. I, I think something else we need to touch on with army building is how well or you know, like how well the the new points system is or isn't working. Uh, there's It's still a very contentious issue. A lot of people still hate that they can't fine-tune things based on points. Um, I at first, I didn't necessarily see it as an issue. Uh, I, I don't mind playing by power level in ninth. I don't mind playing the, with the new point system in 10th. It's the way Age of Sigmar is built. And while there's an argument that Age of Sigmar doesn't have quite the same number of weapon options, in most cases, it really doesn't matter. Like, you're going to pick the weapons that you want to pick. And if you change out the squad's weapon loadout, you you just change out what models you're using and it's very nice and flexible that way. 
where it falls down for me, and the reason I gave it a B instead of a higher grade, um, and this, again, is going to come from my experience as a Tau player running in Tau circles, is I mentioned earlier there's a the brick of... Uh, I, I can't remember if I remember this before recording or during recording, but the the list right now of like double chaos or not double chaos, uh, <laughs> double crisis. Sorry, double crisis suit bricks that are all rocking triple ion cyclic ion blasters. There's no reason not to like when you have a suit that is configurable with that many options. Why would you not just pick the best option and take three of them? Like in the past, the way they would address that, like in ninth edition, was well, we're going to make each individual like the first one costs this much, the second one costs this much more, the third one costs this much more. Yet, and now you don't have that, so you're just like, well, what what is the best gun we have that ha- handles the most things? Just take that all the time, as many as you can, and I think it it goes against the concept that they wanted to get away from of or it goes for the concept they wanted to get away from of having the best weapon for a particular purpose and just spamming that and because there's no points component to managing that there's no way for, like there's no reason not to do that uh, which would require you to then update the unit to put caps on how many of a particular weapon you could take which it, that'll get into faction balance and faction design later, but I like points they've said are like their main f- way of managing balance in the game, and I almost feel like they've kind of taken a tool out of their toolbox by f- removing that fine tuning. But what we like, we haven't seen any. We've only seen some minor point shifting on a few things so we don't know like how well they can uh, you know work those levers onward but i do think it does lead to coming up with the while while in theory it lets you build anything in practice it's leading to people coming up with the best all comers build and just building that yeah no I, i think that's yeah i think that's fair and I, I was going to echo Rob's statements there is, is for a casual or a narrative type player, this is amazing because, hey, I just have to have a leader and then anything else I want to bring, sweet. But I, as you're saying, the, the, like I'll use the Wraith Knight, the most infamous model out there right now. Sword and board Wraith Knight is actually not that scary. It's only the double D cannon one that is. And, they cost the same price. And should they say this is a problem and increase the price? Well, you'll, I mean, you already aren't seeing the sword and board, um, Wraith Knight out there. And you won't even if the price go up as well because they're affecting other things by doing the price. But also, as you noted, a person can choose the unit. They're going to find the best loadout for that unit. And that's all you're going to see in that unit. So. Mm-hmm. Kind of, I'm, I'm like you. At first, I was like, hey, this is nice. But now that we're into it, I kind of actually miss the granular points. Which I know that's against ease of play. But I know. Well, yeah. and, and like, and Richard, I, you found like you actually lost a couple of games during the list building phase. Well, yeah. I mean, that was just me going overboard on, on, on a particular unit and, and, like putting all my eggs in one basket, but like, right. I feel like maybe they've almost maybe painted themselves into a corner to where 
their only way to fix some of this stuff is like we might see more units get split into like different data sheets mm-hmm. like for yeah. example uh tyranid warriors they have two separate data sheets one for like melee focused ones and one for ranged focused ones and like the way they've the way the system is in place since they can't adjust for points based on like specific loadouts like that might be the only way that they can fix the balance on some of these units yeah, like when Dennis, you mentioned the the Wraith Knight, Sword and Board Wraith Knight. That was the kind of the thing that popped in my head as well. They could do a, a you know, Ghost Glaive and uh, you know Shield Wraith Knight as a separate cheaper data sheet. But that feels like a weird it. way to manage it. Uh, that's how they handled yeah. the Knight Codex. Oh, <laughs> I mean, yeah, no, that is not wrong. I mean, so so I guess the reason why I kind of like gave this a higher score, even in light of some of these other issues, is I think the tools are out there to address this. Like, I know we were talking about, like, previously about how the complete uselessness of Melta at, in this edition so far. And, like, why would you ever take Melta when you can take glass cannons? Um, and I think the, you know, or why would you ever take Melta when you can take plasma, which works against everything? And... I think the tools are there to make things to make these weapon profiles and these units cover different things. And I think, you know, like with the Melta guns we talked about, like give Melta give everything with the Melta keyword anti uh, vehicle four up, and immediately Melta becomes viable again, and you would take it. And I think what the it's incumbent on the game designers to make the, and I know they're never going to make it where the, every weapon is equally viable, but I think it's on the game designers to make sure that the weapons are as equally viable as possible so that there isn't just one obvious, this is the best build. And I think as long as they can, you know, if they can go in and fix the crisis suits, for example, and make it so that, well, yeah, this is, you know, triple ion cannon is good, but triple plasma is also good or triple multa has a purpose you know, or splitting between them has, have purposes. I think the tools are there to make this work. They just don't have the execution of it correct yet, which I think is honestly is kind of a common theme across all of my scores is I think they have the tools to fix this. I think they just have done a bad job so far. (laughs) Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. And I think, you know, the fact that like the lowest grade we've given anything right now is a C plus we're being pretty kind when it's like, even when they've messed up a few things, you know, there's, oh, we're, we're not done yet. Oh, no, we're not <laughs> done yet. That's because I've enjoyed everything they've done so far that we've yeah, talked about. So for the most part, yeah, I've been pretty happy with it. There, there are some, some things that need to be addressed, but so far, yeah, what we've talked about, this is, it's fine. It's, it's not, it doesn't feel bad. Like what we've, talked about so far uh so we have four more grades to go but uh we're going to take a quick break for sponsor identification yes we're going to do a mid-episode break again it's been a while since we've done one of those uh in the meantime if you help want us if you want to help support the show we also do have a patreon it's at patreon.com slash preferred enemies and that's basically our online tip jar we don't lock any of our episodes behind a paywall but it helps support the show and thanks to listeners like you uh the show is basically income neutral you are paying for our hosting and our recording service 
service, and we really do appreciate it. So uh, if you want to, even if it's just a dollar a month that you want to pitch in to help cover our costs, um, if enough people put in a dollar, it adds up and it really does make the show, you know, even more viable for us to continue doing. So we really appreciate the help. Uh, So we're going to take a quick break for sponsor identification. And when we come back, we have four more grades to go for our uh, first quarter grade card for 10th edition. See you in a bit. Miniatures. We build them. We paint them. We love them. That's why we also want to get them to the battle and back again safely. And that's where Care Multicase comes in. They offer a complete model storage and transport system. They offer a wide selection of core trays for standard size miniatures, as well as custom cut trays for specific models. KR's trays are made of a soft foam, available in a variety of colors, that won't scratch or snag your models. And to protect the foam, the trays are carried in easily stackable, swappable cardboard cases. They also offer a full range of Kaiser bags, backpacks, and aluminum cases for transporting your KR cases. You can even choose from pre-built tray selections to suit your army, or use the Autofill app to find just the right trays for your particular force. Whatever your game, 40K, X-Wing, Warm Hordes, or Historicals, KR Multicase has the cases to fit your needs. You can find out more at krmulticase.com. KR Multicase, soft foam for your figures, hard cases for the soft foam. Are you tired of playing on a boring battlefield? Do you want to step up the quality of your gaming table and make your battle look real? Then you need to check out the battle mats from GameMat. They're professionally designed rubber-based mats are just what your gaming table needs. Available in a variety of styles, with everything from rolling grasslands to urban war zones, winter wastelands to alien deserts, there's a GameMat mat to fit any kind of terrain. Their mats are padded, anti-slip, waterproof, And when you're done rolling dice and battling on your mat, just roll it up and stick it in the convenient carrying bag for easy transport and storage. And if you don't have a gaming table, they've got you covered with their folding G-board portable gaming area and their line of pre-painted resin terrain. If you're ready to upgrade your gaming table, head over to www.gamemat.eu and find the gaming mat that's right for you. Game Mat, giving your armies the battlefield they deserve. we're back and that means it's time for the other four grades uh for um the 10th edition first quarter uh and as a quick recap for lead up and transition we had three b pluses and an a for the core rules two b's a b plus and an a minus for the leviathan mission pack two c pluses a b plus and a b for ease of play and speed of play we had two b pluses and two b's and for army building uh uh, two B's, a B plus, and an A minus. So far, uh, this edition is rocking. I'd say a solid B to B plus average. And we're going to kick off the next four, or the last four grades, as it were, uh, with rules accessibility. How well have the rules been made available to the player base? And this one, I think, is not surprising at all. We've got two A's and two A minuses. Uh, Kevin and I gave it an A. Richard and Dennis, you gave it an A minus. I'd say we're all pretty much in agreement that they have done extremely well this edition. Yeah, we've always said they needed to get to the digital age, and I feel with this edition, they finally did. 
I, I will admit in some of the t- places I've been, even with people that have phones, they might not have the app. Um, and right now, even with the app, it says, hey, this is free for now. I'm hoping they just remove that and keep it free because this is one of the biggest things that lets people kind of get into the game because the app is right now phenomenal. I mean, I would probably pay for it, but if I was a new player, I wouldn't. So, yeah. Yeah. No, actually, so I, I gave it an A, but I, I realized this morning, so I hadn't – I've been out for Gen Con and other things for the last couple of weeks, so I'm a couple of weeks behind on Warhammer Community articles. Uh, yeah, I read the article about them moving the app behind, into Warhammer Plus, and that would have immediately dropped this down to an A- minus or a B plus for me, because hiding the app behind a paywall is is a bad idea. Um I like Warhammer Plus. I subscribe to it, but new players that want to get into the rules and like get access to a good tool are not going to want to pay fifty dollars a year or you know ten seven bucks a month or whatever it is you know for 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 Warhammer Plus. They're not going to want to do that just to get access to the rules, you know, and the the app to build lists and play the game. So that's a little bit that's a little bit disappointing, but. Everything else has been great. The fact they're putting all the PDFs out there, the fact that they're clearly versioning the PDFs is yes. also huge. Oh my also god, that good. was my biggest problem pet peeve with Ninth is they would release FAQs but they would just call it the same thing and it was impossible to tell what version it was. <laughs> so, yeah, the they they've this has been a successful transition finally to the digital age for them and I think it's well overdue and I think it's pressure from Things like one-page rules and some of these other systems out there have have kind of forced them to adapt this. Yeah, very very likely that. And while there are some people who will say no, and it's just, they just saw the writing on the wall. It's like yeah, but while I don't think one-page rules is necessarily like a sales pressure on GW. GW is still the you know eight hundred pound gorilla as far as miniature wargaming. Uh, they do have enough competitors who are moving to a more digital uh, system such as you know a lot of what atomic mass games is doing with like marvel and marvel crisis protocol and things like that where a lot of the stuff is more available the rules are more available online that they've just kind of seen the writing on the wall um and i i do think uh there are some other steps that they've taken like the fact that the core rules unlike in ninth edition are the actual full core rules with army building included. Um, the fact that they did the page numbering so that the digital, like the PDF is numbered the same as the core rules inside the Leviathan book. That was a brilliant idea. And I really appreciate that. That doesn't matter where you get your rules from. Everybody's literally on the same page when asking rules, you know, answering rules questions, having all the, um, data cards available as free PDFs. Hopefully those will not go away as codexes roll out. That will disappoint me greatly if they do. We know NIDs and Space Marines are next. And if those indexes disappear, that's going to that would tank the score for me very quickly. I understand having the other detachments not being free, and that would be like whatever other detachments they come up with in the codexes. I get that. Uh, Age of Sigmar kind of works the same way, but Age of Sigmar, the unit rules are still free for everything. So, like, if I want to see what a particular unit in Age of Sigmar does, I can download it off of their like with their app. 
even though the army builder is behind uh, Warhammer Plus, or it has an option for Warhammer Plus, and I think it's going to be exclusively Warhammer Plus if they follow the same path they're doing with the uh, 40K app. Um, yeah, I hope that the unit rules at least stay the same so everybody can see what those do. But I, I kind, I, I'm hoping they don't paywall everything. I do think paywalling the army builder is also a bad idea, especially because I can go on the Warhammer community website and I can go to War Scroll Builder and I can build a Age of Sigmar army for free. I can just use their web app. I don't have to use the phone app. And because of the, the changes that have been made to 40K, which is actually less complex, I think, at this point, because there's more things you actually have to select for a war or for an Age of Sigmar army now. It's like, why not just make this a free web app? There's, mm. it's no, there's no reason not to at this point other than money. And that's kind of disappointing. But as of this point, right now, what is available, this has been a very, very good addition as far as rules accessibility. Uh, now, as far as we, we kind of talked about this, new player accessibility. How accessible is this game to new players? Um, and uh, this one, we're all relatively close, although I will admit I am a little bit of an outlier. Uh, this one... Uh, Kevin and Richard, you both gave this a solid A. Dennis, you gave it an A minus. I gave it a B plus. I was a little bit more harsh with this one. And uh, I, I think, it, Dennis, I know you have played in Combat Patrol events. Uh, I think we can all agree Combat Patrol is a fantastic way to make the game accessible to new players. Well, not just that, but I've gotten three new people playing the game with me on a monthly basis now that weren't into four. I mean, they knew about it, but one's a Battletech player, one's a Sigmar player, and but th they were interested in Tenth Edition, and they found it very easy to get into. And we've we didn't do combat patrols; we just did thousand point or team two thousand point games. And I mean, they've slotted right in and understood the rules fine. The only like problems we've had are things that have been the gotchas that we described earlier, which everybody's having. So right. And they are, and this goes back to the previous one, they are loving the app to build an army. Um, so I, I think this kind of goes hand in hand with the previous one is if they make it to where they, they block the app from army building at least, um, that will be a detriment to enticing new players to get into the game, try it out, see what it's like, and then stick around because the Sigmar guy already had a bunch of Tyranids. Um, but the Battletech guy, he's, he's actually bought an Eldar combat patrol now because he was that excited about this is kind of fun. Uh, and then the guy was borrowing his brother's gray knights and he's talking about getting into Necrons. So it's like, this is definitely new player accessible because there's excitement and people wanting to get into the game. I'm just crossing my fingers that they, they keep it that way. Yeah, that's that's fair. And, and yeah, that is the concern that how long does that accessibility of rules and army building tools uh, remain available? Uh, now, fortunately, as far as that uh, Battlescribe, there was some worry that Battlescribe would not end up getting 10th edition support. Uh, there's been some debate regarding the, the current developer of Battlescribe and how 
involved he actually is with the community and whether the people that do the actual like army roster files, you know, whether they felt that their work was worthwhile to continue doing um, for someone. I don't know if it's the same group or if a different group has stepped in, but there is now 10th edition support in battle scribe. And again, 10th edition is a pretty easy edition to build units for here, but to build lists for. So uh, that, that tool will be available. There's a couple of other competing, um, web-based tools some of which are built off of battlescribe style data you know data files so we'll see if that continues um my concern the reason i gave it a b plus is while i think combat patrol which has been positioned as the primary way to get new players into um into 40k you know the idea like you buy a combat patrol your friend buys a combat patrol or they've got the new starter box that has literally the new Space Marine and Tyranid combat patrols in them, uh, which I think is a fantastic product. Uh, the idea you, you buy that, you download the rules, you download the uh, like the missions and your particular data sheets, and uh, you just go like you build the build the units and just go. I do think that's a really neat way to make to to lower that bar of entry for people to like make it clear. It's like okay, yeah, there's a whole set of missions you can play with this. There's like you don't have to fidget with army building or anything like that. It's all just you know decided right there for you. I feel like that's a little bit of a double-edged sword, though, because that also leaves you not interacting with a few parts of the game, such as army building. Uh, if you don't like the particular loadout they have for the units that you built for Combat Patrol and you built them that way because that's what Combat Patrol uses, it might leave you with a feel like a bit of a feel-bad when you realize that maybe in the main game that's not a good build, but that's what they put on the box. So you're kind of stuck with it. Um, also, just uh, there's a couple of little things like the fact that the army rules in the combat patrols do not always match the army rules in the main game uh space marines which like (laughs) that seems like one that people are going to use a lot because that's going to be put in front of them a lot with between the leviathan box and the new starter box and rob this is where i'll go of I think it's good to go into combat patrol and then into the game because you're building, you get more and you get more. Um, but that's why after you've done some combat patrols, unless you're playing against another new player to get them into the game, it's hard to go back because once you're used to the newer space brain rules of, Oh, I get the oath of moment on both shooting and wounding. It's, Sometimes you'll forget on the combat patrol, and it also is a, like you know we're trying to note it, f- it feels bad. So I think it's a it's a step process, but you can't really you won't really go backwards. Mm-hmm. And also, I know you had mentioned the concern that combat patrol can get stale pretty quickly. Yeah, it kind of can because they're like you were also noting there. There's no flexibility in units. You you know what the other person's bringing. You know what they can do. Uh, for a new player, everything's new, so it's fine. But once you're experienced, you're like, oh, well, okay, well, this is what's going to happen here. This is how I handle this here. And so a lot of the discovery and what does this do? What how does this work? Is gone because you already know. Um, but combat patrol does a great thing because it. it kind of piecemeals things to you, which I think is why I said after the last combat patrol I played is like, yeah, I've played enough combat patrol. I know how the game works. I'm 
fine not doing it unless I'm going to teach somebody else the game because the rules and the units are very fixed and I'm ready for having all the stratagems, having all the units at my disposal. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I I do think it I, as it is probably the easiest addition to onboard people. And yeah, when I was at Show Me Showdown, I played against someone who's like, yeah, my son and I split two uh, Leviathan boxes, and he's got the Nids, and I've got the Space <laughs> Marines. And yeah, nice. like I've I've heard other tales about that. And between the fact that they've made painting really easy to do with like the contrast system, they've made. Uh, you know, getting like the models are like these really nice looking push fit models. So like the models are easy to build in many cases. Um, like it's a very good system for new players to get into. I just hope that it's a good enough. Like I hope that the tools that they've put in place that they intend to draw new players don't end up getting players that kind of stall out. I think that's my biggest concern why I gave it a B plus rather than like, I almost gave it an A it's a, like this would be like an 89 out of nine, you know, instead of a 90 kind of B plus, like it's a really high B plus, but still a little bit concerned. Um, uh, now we're going to get into the, our last two grades. And uh, I think this next one is, gonna have more contention than you might think and then the last one i don't think has any contention but it's the one we need to talk <laughs> it's the 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 elephant in the room that we absolutely need to discuss so our next our, our penultimate grade is the execution of new ideas how have things like uh, objective control battle shock leaders and bodyguards etc worked and are they working as intended um, Dennis and Richard, you both gave the edition A minus, very high marks. Uh, Kevin, you gave it a B. I gave it a C. <laughs> I <laughs> I was harsh on this one. I f- so Rob, why do you hate forty k? <laughs> <laughs> I feel I must defend myself, seeing that the, the grades are so wildly different. So so I I so allow me to retort. Um, so uh, I th- okay, there's a. F- I want to kind of run down some of these ideas and explain how I got to where I got. Okay, first off, objective control. I think objective control is a smashing success. I think it's fantastic. Uh, I have no arguments about objective control. Uh, even in one of the games, like Richard and I played, like Richard, you asked the question, well, how do we, can a unit control two objectives? And it's like, well, it's based off of the objective control of the, the models that are on the objective. So why couldn't you? And, uh, so it's it like that solves a problem yeah. right away. Do, do you want to hear a scary story about that? You know, sure. the primary objective where you can move or where you've got the extra objective. So they're not as far apart. Uh-huh. A night, a night's base can actually be on two of those objectives. Oh, geez. <laughs> oh, no. I, I did oh, no. that in one of my practice games against myself. Oh, oh, <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> But but overall, it's like I like objective control. I like the fact that vehicles have more objective control so that you can't just have one infantry guy step up and, and take an objective from a like a tank. I like there's a lot about objective control. I really, really like I um, no no notes on objective control. I think that one has been a success. Um, Battleshock. Uh, Battleshock's a neat idea. Richard, you mentioned how much you like it over the old morale system of actually making it feel like it, like it's not just a, an alternate way to pull off models. Um, I do, I do think, I think Battleshock as a theory is really, really good. I think Battleshock in practice 
d- is not nearly as impactful as I feel like it needs to be. And I think that a lot of the army abilities that interact with Battleshock are very weak. Um, except for those that help you fight against Battleshock. Those are pretty strong. But like Battleshock, because most leaderships you're going to succeed because most leaderships are six plus seven plus, which means that's the average roll on 2d6. More often than not, you're going to succeed on Battleshock. Right. It, it doesn't come up nearly that often. If it does come up, it's maybe one unit, which if you have CP, you just spend a CP and now it's not an issue anymore. That's how it's... Yes and no. If you Battleshock someone not in the command phase or not in the Battleshock spot of the command phase, you're just stuck. You are Battleshocked. You get no more stratagems. It that that is, that is true, but I find most of those abilities, like... Unless you are planning on using an, a strat on that unit, it rarely seems to have much impact because of when it happens. It happens on your turn after, usually after the point where you can actually capitalize on that by scoring, by reducing them down to OC zero. Um, like there may be a couple of cases where it does help out, but it just feels, it feels underwhelming. Even like the Tyranid ability to like once per game, everything takes a battle shock. And more often that. than not, it, it, yeah, but it doesn't seem to do a whole lot. Like it, maybe it hits it, a unit. I've had it hit one or two, and it's, I don't want to say decided the game, but it's changed how I have to play. Like I had one time a unit that can't do an action because it's battle shocked. Um, I mean, not action, but you know what I mean. It could not, because it can't control a point, it can't do the, air quote action and so i had to not score that turn on that and it it affects you in little ways true i'll agree it could be stronger but it is i think battleshock is still effective and it's not i'm gonna say it's not scary but when it happens it hurts so and i think that's kind of what battleshock for me at least was was going for Although I will say to your point, like Chaos Knights, um, their whole spiel is, hey, we do better against things that are battle shocked, and yet they don't really battle shock anybody. (laughs) (laughs) I think they were trying to I think battle shock's a really cool idea, and I think it's a powerful mechanic. I think they intentionally undercooked some of the abilities that interacted with it. Because they didn't want it, I think trying to, they wanted to make sure that like, hey, let's not make this too overpowered and make this kind of the defining trait of the addition. And I hope that as they go along that, you know, they can create uh, ideas and and interactions that work better with it and do more stuff. Because I think it's a neat mechanic, but you're right. The interactions with it right now are pretty weak. Um, So I don't know. I'm hopeful that maybe in the future they can kind of rebalance some of that stuff. Yeah, because it's like, I would love to see, like, I think Nids should lean into it more. Chaos Knights obviously mm-hmm. need to ha- ne- lean into it more. Drukari need to lean into it more. Like, Drukari yes. should be, like, literally should be scaring people to death. <laughs> you know, like, that's well, kind of their thing, and it doesn't and feel like they're doing that. I, I think to your point there, Rob, there either needs to be more things that trigger it outside of command phase, and or more penalties make the dice rolls a little bit harder agreed agreed um 
uh, leaders and bodyguards. Uh, I feel like this one has mostly worked, but I think um, th- there's a couple of things about it that would that would prevent me from saying it's a smashing success. Uh, first off, some of the, you know, with every unit being kind of locked down to what they can lead, in most cases it makes total sense, but there's a few cases where it just seems like, well, why can't, like, for example, I was looking at list building for sisters and like, why can't I put a canonist with a unit of Repentia? I, I can't. It's not even an option. I can put them with Celestians or Battle Sisters. I can't even put them with a Retributor Squad. No real reason why I can't, other than the rules just don't allow it. There's there's a lot of units that would benefit from it that can't have one. There's a lot of units that or can't have the right leader to really help them capitalize on it. Uh, I've also found, like, Richard, there was the game where I went Lieutenant Heavy on my Blood Angels, and it I was spending too many points on characters. Like it was there. I wasn't getting the benefit out of them that I probably needed to. Uh, And so I went with too many characters in a thousand point army. Also, there's some weirdness where characters don't have abilities unless they're leading a unit, which means there's some characters that you just won't take because like, I don't necessarily want them leading a unit, but now they do nothing. So I I find it funny because like in at least for for orcs I know like the the inverse is is true because like orc boys their ability that they have is, is starts with the phrase if led by a war boss so like you have to have a war boss leading them for them to like do anything extra. Yeah, we've got, like, Votan have a unit like that. Like, the Hearth Guard, if they're being led, well, not specific, but as long as there's a leader, then they're harder to kill. Right. Uh, and there's also, like, a couple of weird cases where, like, you have Morvan Vol, who, if she runs by herself, she doesn't have, like, lone operative or anything, so she'll die very quickly, but the only unit she can join is a unit of Paragon Warsuits, which makes sense, but also feels really weird when you have other characters like Bobby G, who has lone operative, if he's within enough range of a uh, of a unit, of an infantry yeah, unit. I, I think sisters are weird in that regards. They don't have, because a lot of the leaders are kind of based off, like, armor type. And that's how they've been paired up. Um, and sisters only have more involved for war suits. And just like if you want to do Seraphim or Zephyrim, your only leader choice is Celestine. And so, I mean, Celestine can't really, and like you said, she doesn't have lone operative. So she's, if she's by herself, she'll just get shot off the table and come back once, but still get shot off the table. So I, I think that's more akin to a, a, sisters thing of they don't have enough leader slots because i mean even in the narrative we did at casey a couple years ago they said well you brought celestine to the i'm like well yes i'm bringing sisters if i had a canonist who could have jump pack i would have brought that but i only have one option and it's celestine (laughs) so shrug yeah uh, well and tau have similar issues where like certain like Ethereals can like Pathfinders can only be joined by a named character. Like they, you if you don't have if you want a character to to improve your Pathfinders, you have to take Dark Strider. 
if you know uh it, it just that's that's it you want to have a uh ethereal with your broadsides nope ethereal can only join strike squad or breacher squad it's stuff like that like there's just it, it's it's a little frustrating um that like i want more flexibility but i also understand you don't want to go like full super friends but by limiting it to like one liter per unit with a few caveats and, and special cases, I, I feel like they would mostly have addressed that. I just think they should probably open up that range. But yeah, between that and the leaders that um, don't do anything if they're not leading or as Richard pointed out, the units that do nothing if they're not led. That's that it like again, it's it's good, but I don't know if it's fully working as intended. And then there's this one is not necessarily it's not technically a new concept, an execution of a new idea, but I I kind of feel like it is. And this is one we've mentioned before. We've had this discussion. Vehicle toughness being over eight and anti and how <laughs> anti-vehicle works. I think that one has proven to be a near total failure because of how uh, of okay. again, you know getting into it'll so, kind of spill over into our last top our last grade. But yeah, and, I and Rob. Yeah, I want to point this out. You did not include that in the examples, and I, I, the, I was just kind of going off that. Had you put the vehicle one in there, I would have dropped mine from an A to probably a B minus. Okay, fair. So, I mean, because that I think has been, it has some consequences that are we're still trying to figure out. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's that's fair. I should have listed that as I, I meant to put an etc. in there. I probably shouldn't have left it as just those three things. So I'll, I'll put that one on me. But yeah, I. Vehicles and vehicle toughness. I loved the idea, but to go along with that idea, you have to make sure that armies have access consistently to anti-vehicle weaponry, whether in melee or in shooting. And right now, not only is that not the case, and that again, that will get into our last grade, um, even in the cases where you do have it, it is often inconsistent things that used to work against vehicles that were specifically made to work against vehicles, such as Melta, do nothing. And that's bad. That's really bad design. Yeah, this is this is specifically the area where most of my grade comes from. It's like, I think a lot of the other concepts and ideas in the edition, they're fine. They work well. Yeah, you could tweak leaders and and fix some of those things. I, I chalk more of the leader thing up to the f- at least my issues with it, the fact that the armies that I play just have so few HQ options. Because like I have an I have an army that has uh, three HQ options and two of them are named. So I guess that's not four HQ options and two of them are named characters. So sure, there's going to be limitations. But yeah, I, I think the concept's fine there. The vehicle stuff. Again, this is kind of why it's a B and not lower for me, is there's definitely an imbalance there, and I don't mind the idea of them changing vehicle toughness and changing that scale, but you have to change weapon profiles and weapon usage to fit that. And I and again, I, I think the simple fix, because we've talked about in previous episodes and offline, it's like, yeah, just give Meltiguns anti-vehicle four up. Like, that literally solves the problem. You know, and it's so it's like there's there's simple solutions out there to it. I think they're just again, they've just not executed them very well. 
Right. And that, yeah, that's that right there, like sunk this grade for me. It was because vehicles like for me, like as a Tau player and again, you know, it comes back because that's what I've played competitively at this point. And sadly, that's probably my best faction is Tau and they are hurting. I used to not fear like vehicles. I could deal with vehicles all day long. Now, like I'm having to pack seeker missiles on everything because it's the only like other than rail guns, which I only have like a couple of like maybe one unit on the board at a given time that has a rail gun. Like I need that strength 14 one shot punch because it's the only thing I have that is likely like I might get some chip damage maybe with other things, but it's so unlikely. And because vehicles also tend to have pretty solid armor saves and they've generally reduced the AP of armor or of weapons across the board in this to make everything more survivable. Vehicles are very survivable, but some things have access to the tools to deal with them and some armies just do not. And when it's armies that traditionally did, that feels worse. Like sisters, it feels really bad. Um, We discussed, uh, Hearthkin warriors and uh, rail guns, um, like your magna rails, you should have more of that. You should be able to deal with that, and and you just can't. Well, not that, consistently. That's also an issue of ballistic skill going up across the board, so you're less likely to hit with your one shot vehicle killing guns. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like my 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 gray knights, like the strongest ranged weapon they have is like strength eight. That's, that's not, not going to do, do it. That's not going to do anything. No. Like, oh, I can, I could, I could take a, a nemesis dread knight who has, who, you know, has like strength ten in melee. But then again, he's tough eight. Guess what? He's gonna die. Yeah. But on the flip side of that, when a vehicle hits a dedicated, like, anti-vehicle weapon, and when I say anti-vehicle, I mean, like, last cannon profile, which is, like, strength 12, D6 damage, AP3, like, vehicles just melt to that. Like, it takes them apart very quickly. I Like, I remember how quickly my vehicles died to zoanthropes. <laughs> like, yeah, Warp Blast is scary against vehicles. Um... Uh, like gladiator lancers with the like, or like they're terrifying, um, because they just got strong laser punch on their like on their main gun. Um, but whereas like like the twin linked las cannon, I want to say on a on a repulsor is actually better than the las the twin linked las cannon is better than the las talon because I think the las talon's only like strength ten, like. It like that's like strength ten isn't gonna cut it. Like strength ten against light vehicles is fine, but there's a lot of vehicles that are strength twelve. It's also one of the reasons why knights are really strong. Why wraith knights are really solid because some armies just can't deal that kind of damage. And then when you add in like any sort of damage reduction or invulnerable save, oof, it's it's rough. It's really rough. So the idea that vehicles are tougher is fine in theory, but the execution of dealing with that has been lackluster, to say the least, and not evenly divided. And that brings us to our final grade. Faction balance are armies balanced against one another 
and our codex is balanced internally. And Richard, I'm going to say any student would be glad to have you because you <laughs> gave it a D plus, and that was the <laughs> highest grade we gave it. The rest right. of us uh, gave us an I, F. <laughs> I, right. I will say that, like, and this is just, I think, kind of my experience with the factions that I have, like, internal balance for at least the factions that I have seem to be pretty good. Like, the factions have m- multiple units that are, you know, worth taking, and there's, like, reasons to take them, and, like, in a competitive sense, you're always going to, like, go through and boil things down to, like, what is the absolute best. But, like, I I feel like internal balance has looked decent, but, like, across the board, like, faction balance, yeah, is all over the place. It's not good. Oh, no, it's not good. Um, so I'm just going to read the list of factions from GW's MetaWatch article and their win rates. And remember, their sweet spot is 50, 45 to 55%. If a unit is in that, if an army is in that Goldilocks zone, they're pretty happy with it. Um, Eldari, 67%. Yeah, we're winning. Yeah. And, and they also, <laughs> like, some people have asked, why are these numbers different than, like, the Monday meta numbers and things like that? And that's because these also take RTTs into account, not just GTs and, and majors. So Eldari, 67%. Gene Stealer Cults, 63%. Imperial Knights, 57%. Adeptus Custodes, 56%. Those are the four that are above the Goldilocks zone. In the Goldilocks zone, we have Thousand Suns at 53, Chaos Demons, 52, Tyranids, 51, Death Watch, 51, Necrons, 49, Orcs, 47, Chaos Space Marines, 47, Chaos Knights, 47, Space Wolves, 46, Dark Angels, 45, Black Templars, 45. Uh, we also don't know whether those are playing their detachment or if they're playing the Gladius detachment, if they're Space Marines. Gladius is better. I hate mm-hmm. saying that. Yeah, it really is. Yep. <laughs> Uh, and then outside the Goldilocks zone, Astra Militarum, 43, Adeptus Astartes, 43, Drukari, 43, Blood Angels, 41, Adeptus Sororitas, 41, World Eaters, 41, Grey Knights, 40, Mechanicus, 40, Death Guard, 38, Tau, 38, Leagues of Votan, 35. There yeah, are more we're winning! Ar- <laughs> there are more armies outside of the Goldilocks zone than inside it. That's bad. I, I, I still like to point out that the two main factions I've been focusing on, Eldari and Votan, are the top and the bottom. I mean... <laughs> I mean, bully for you, Dennis. Uh, that's, you know... Most, sadly, the three unit, the three I've played most... The four I've played most recently, because I'll include Blood Angels, because I did play that against uh, Richard recently, are 41% or less. Yeah, well, if you toss in my other two custodes and sisters, they're also one at the top, one at the bottom. So yeah, <laughs> I'm yeah. either a, have a my, top army or a bottom army. <laughs> yeah, my three. I've got Gene Steeler Colts, which is up at the top. I've got Orcs, yeah. which is in the middle, uh-huh. and then I've got Grey Knights, which is down at the bottom. Yeah. Well, and you've got balanced. Nids, which are solidly I've, I've in got, the middle too. I've got Nids that are also in the middle. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, I mean. 
This is not great. This, <laughs> th- no, this is actively bad. Well, I'll talk about some of this as I mentioned before we started recording of looking at this from someone who's played both Eldar and Votan. A lot of people are playing to the secondary missions. For the secondary missions, you really need mobility so you can get to places. Eldar have it, Photon do not. You also need to have killing or kill ability or trying to kill your opponent more. Eldar have that in spades with the way the DK stuff and devastating wounds work or like people know the fire prisms that can just focus fire one thing. Votan don't, mostly because, like I mentioned earlier, their ballistic skill is now worse. And like Rob noted earlier, heavy is a bonus. And so I, if I have a judgment token for a plus one to my ballistic skill and I've got heavy for a plus one to my ballistic skill, I only get plus one. So judgment tokens mean nothing to the heavy shots. So they aren't going to get good. And it just thus makes Votan not able to kill the big things. And also, if you're killing your opponent's stuff, they have less things on the board to go do the objectives for your secondaries. So it's, it's killing is, is killing is probably the number one thing you can do. Mobility is second. And you'll notice up top, the armies up there either kill things well or have good mobility or both. Yeah. Um, Eldari, obviously, like we've discussed this in past episodes, the fact that they have dice fixing plus rerolls means that, and they're a three-up ballistic skill or weapon skill army pretty much across the board, you just don't miss. And you're and re-rolling I'll, your wounds, or you're just also automatically wounding. N- note this about the Eldari. You aren't talking about Aspect Warriors, Guardians, Storm Guardians, any of those. Anything that has three toughness, other than probably the Farseers, people aren't taking. So there's not that faction balance within the Codex, because there's definitely the haves and have-nots inside that Codex. Yeah, and that's kind of where I got into the army building being an issue where it's like once you ha- – like you're not taking battle line. You, like there was a period at the very beginning where people were kind of experimenting with taking like I'll take a unit of guardians or, or two to to generate some more miracle dice. Nah, nobody bothers now. It, you don't need to, you, especially because you can only spend one per phase, which means the 12 you roll lasts that much longer. Um, nobody's worrying about rolling more of them because Farseers are still popular and just let you use them as sixes. So it doesn't matter. Um, there's just Eldar have all the tools. They have the phantasm strat. give them more mobility (laughs) because that's what they needed. Um, there's just a great strat. It's, it's fantastic. And (laughs) it's, it's too good for that army to have right now. Um, Gene Steeler cults, score objectives all like they are not a killing army they are a scoring army that just doesn't die like their right, their ba- battle line stuff just does that's one of the few armies where you will see somebody spam out battle line because their battle line just infinitely returns <laughs> right and that gets around the whole thing of if i kill your stuff you have less things to score well like you said if you kill their stuff it blips back on so they still have the stuff so they can still score yeah um imperial knights uh, up until recently, they were re-rolling all their ones. Uh, now it has been confirmed to be a single one to hit and a single one to, to wound, which will bring them down somewhat, but their rules are still better than Chaos Knights by far. Sadly. Sadly. Yeah. Um, <laughs> custodes are just very tough to shift, and they do, thanks to Forge World, have the ability to bring decent firepower to deal with things. Uh, also, they have Even, the ability to have fight first, which is very strong. 
custodes are solid. I I'm I kind of like the space they're in. They're a little high, but in a way, I think they should be because they are like the emperor, the most elite of elite armies. Yeah, and I mean, their fights first is only on objectives. Well, that's where you want to be anyway. Uh, they just and the custode guard. I mean, when we looked at the not apocalypse box. Like the Christmas boxes, holiday boxes, whatever you want to call them. Um, we were like, man, there's a lot of guard in there. What are you going to do with this much guard? Guard are one of the best units in the codex right now, just because they have, I can fire a second time each turn and the, they have good movement. They've got the pistols. So if they're locked in combat, they can still shoot and uh, they're, they're just, you can bring one back per game in each squad custodes are just really solid i mean they might be a little overpowered but in my mind they they should be and they're at least not as eldar overpowered as <laughs> it, things go yeah well and i think i think that bears out because they're they're you know 56 percent, which basically means they're within the range that they're trying to get them in so i i think Custodes are in a pretty in- good spot, and they're they kind of custodes and imperial knights. I, I think they talked about this in the I don't remember where I read this. It was either in the Meta Watch article or just kind of somebody commenting on it. C- uh, custodes and imperial knights kind of serve as the gatekeepers to Gene Sealer Colts and Eldari, like that. They're the ones that kind of push down some of the other stuff. If you don't have the ability to deal with them, you can't win at all, and then. Eldari and Gene Sealer Colts set a cut above them, and which I think you see bear out in the in the percentages. Those are the two armies that really have a shot to win anything. Imperial Knights and Custodes are kind of the gatekeeper armies holding some of the other armies down. And if things work out right and you wind up getting a Custodes versus Custodes final, then sure, they can win a GT or a Major. But they're not as good as the other armies, but they kind of serve to push everything else down um, and, and kind of create that separation. Yeah. So I, I think in general, Imperial Knights and Custodes are in a pretty good spot. It's just that I think if you address if you address the bottom and those armies that are under 40 or around 40% and give them abilities to deal with high toughness infantry or high toughness vehicles, I think that'll push Knights and Custodes down. It'll push those other ones up and it'll, it'll sh- shrink that gap. The problem is is how do you bring Eldari and Gene Steeler Colts down without nerf batting the entire freaking <laughs> army? Like, I, you know, that's the... <laughs> and that may be the solution. It's like Eldari and Gene Steeler Colts are two... And that's the thing, is they are also the two things keeping Imperial Knights and Custodes from being in their position. I, I really do feel. That is true. That is true. Because um, I, I have a feeling if we had lived in a world with no Eldari and Gene Steeler Colts, we would see Imperial Knights probably at like a... 60 plus percent win rate and same with custodes um so it's and i and they've addressed this like it is a zero-sum game but the i while having a few armies at the very top we've dealt with this before harlequins were in this position zinch demons have been in this position it they found ways to address it although with eldari it's hard because there's so much good in that codex that they have to be very careful what they target but at the same time, it's like if you if you don't target enough things, they'll just switch up the builds and it doesn't matter. But looking at the armies in the bottom, um, let's like Astra Militarum. Biggest problem there, a lot of their stuff is overcosted. 
And that comes from the way the points work now. So like Lehman Russes are all costed as though you have uh, last cannon up front and last cannon sponsons or something like that. You know, it's like every every Lehman Russ tank is is priced based on the most expensive build you could do, um, which is not good for them. They're way overcosted. And otherwise, they have to lean in on in on artillery, which is also been bumped in price and isn't fun to play against anyway. Um, Adeptus Astartes, uh, surprisingly, Desolation squads are better when you give them to other Marine armies, but but they're it's not they're kind of a spoiler army, but they're not winning consistently. Uh, Drukari are like Eldari, but bad. Um, <laughs> They, I mean, they have the firepower, like dark lances galore. Um, there, but they don't have the stronger units to back it right. up the way that looks. Like if you took wraith knights and wraith, like wraith constructs away from Eldari, they'd probably be sitting in a similar point. But Drukari also right. don't have dice fixing the way that Eldari do. Well, it's because Drukari gave up their whole psychic stuff. Because <laughs> if they use psychic stuff, they go straight to Slanesh. Yeah, fair enough. But it's true that they don't have any big things. I mean, the homunculus coven and their, the racks and all that was, were kind of like the big tough things. But from what I'm seeing, I don't see as much as that as the like witches and warriors right now. Well, and also like, I think if you look at Drukari, but like their vehicles, I mean, traditionally they've been made out of tissue paper, but like the Raider and the Red, like the Raiders T8. Hey, we found a vehicle that Melta works against. Yeah. Uh, It's because it's the tissue paper vehicle. (laughs) Right. It's like this army does not benefit from the increased toughness of vehicles or the increased toughness of much of anything. They got a two point bump. They used to be T6. (laughs) <laughs> well yeah they're t8 but that's that still doesn't help much and a six up invulnerable save which they already kind of had in the past edition anyway we've yeah. determined a six up invulnerable means nothing yeah uh and so yeah the while the drukari have the weaponry to win they don't have the survivability and they don't have the dice fixing that their their less torturous cousins have um Blood Angels I'm gonna, are in the same boat as World Eaters, and I think because like Blood Angels want to be played melee, and melee is kind of suffering in this edition a bit. Um, they're like, at least we don't have to play Yahtzee, but uh, <laughs> but like Blood Angels, yeah. they have a very bo- like Sons of Sanguinius is a very boring detachment rule. It's because it's just like, oh, yeah, when you assault, not when you are assaulted, just when you charge, you get plus one strength and plus one attack. It's the old furious charge. And it's nice, but it's not Gladius good. Like, there's no reason to to not run Gladius with Blood Angels. And there's also some weird synergy with, like, Sanguinary Guard are way overcosted, but it's also the only thing Dante can join. We, we <laughs> see some of the leader issues there. Death Company are good, but not great. You have to babysit them with a chaplain, which means you have to have more characters, which digs into your points efficiency. Like, Blood Angels have some issues. World Eaters, Kevin, you are all too familiar with the issues that World Eaters are facing right now. Yeah, just... Just that, you know, melee's tough in this edition. They I feel that World Eaters are closer than some other ones because they do have a bunch of movement shenanigans. Um, I don't think the Blessings of Corn. I don't hate the mechanic, but it's not as good as Blood Tithe Points. Like it doesn't feel as it doesn't feel as good. I don't know. I need to play larger games. Uh I'm I'm gonna try to take some vehicles and like Mauler Fiends in the next the next round of our Escalation League. 
um, and see if I can make some of that stuff work. But like the infantry just isn't like, I, like <clears throat> I think I talked about it last time I faced a chaos Marine player that was playing Slanesh and he was able to just outdo me and everything because it's like, well, I've got noise Marines, which are better in melee or almost as good in melee as berserkers. That's wow. Pos- possessed uh, are almost as good as eight bound in melee and you can take more of them. Uh, I guess it was chosen. It wasn't. It was chosen against uh, uh, my berserkers. Uh, so it's like this chosen unit, like a ten man unit, chosen ten man unit berserkers. Like we're pretty even in combat. And it's like he just has these abilities to take units that the world leaders don't have. Like they just don't have the tools. If they, for example, gave world leaders a foot slogging chaos lord, uh, an exalted champion, chosen, you know, a few of these other options that are in the chaos Marine codex, they would be in a lot better place. Um, so I don't think world leaders are that far off. I think they, I think they have the right tools in this edition to make melee work. They just need, they just need better options and more options. Cause there's like six freaking units that are viable in that codex. And it's kind of sucks to play right now. <laughs> uh. Speaking of armies that don't have the tools, Grey Knights, uh, Richard, you pointed out, you just don't have the strength to deal with vehicles. Yeah, like there's that, like they have they have pretty crazy movement, but then again, all of their like they're highly elite armies, so they don't have a lot of units. Uh, so like being able to like score multiple objectives is still kind of hard for them. Yeah, the, I've I, got you, mobility though, but yeah, not being able to knock people off of objectives is rough for them. Um, they just don't have the kinds of options that the other very elite army custodes has. You know, it's like their their bodies aren't quite as tough, but are still just as costed, and they don't have access to the kind of anti vehicle abilities that custodes can pull from their forge world like because i'm seeing a lot of lists with telemons and caladius you know the all the the forge world goodies and uh so yeah gray knights they pay for being an elite army without the benefits of really being an elite army i think right now yeah i can there are it does have access to some like las cannons but like that's on fairly expensive stuff so yeah it would, it's kind of yeah, it's like to, you got you need a land raider basically you have to yeah. um mechanicus has one of the worst detachment abilities in the game your opponent it punishes your opponent for staying in their deployment zone so they just won't that's it like, like, <laughs> they're seriously, and there's a lot of non-synergy. Like, they went from an extremely synergistic army where you, like, layered buffs from different characters to an army that just does not work together well at all. Um, it's a shooting army that's bad at shooting, uh, and it has, like, a non-existent, effectively... Um, detachment ability death guard also have pretty much a non-existent de- uh, detachment ability uh the a bubble of minus one toughness in an addition where toughness generally went up across the board um <laughs> but your weapons focus on lethal hits which does not interact with toughness Gosh. uh <laughs> means that you just do- your your uh, army is anti-synergy that's yeah 
actively bad. Now there are there is like one build that can kind of put up some numbers, and that is you take three plague burst crawlers, you take Mortarian, you take a Lord of Virulence, and you take some Terminators because you can deep strike them. Because that's the only mobility you have is deep striking, because your army is also slow as hell. Your Terminators move four inches. Your normal infantry moves five. Um, Death Guard just do not have the tools to really compete unless you do a mono build and then maybe. Um, but just the abilities just do not work well for the army. It just, and people were starting to see this when uh, the first game at us open, where they started showing off all the, the data cards. <laughs> yeah. And we were like, you know what? Let's wait till we see the points. Let's wait till it. No, no, they just suck. They're just going to really just bad. Ba- they're just badly designed. Um, Tau. Tau theoretically would have the tools to do. Okay. Um, but they do not have they are a a slightly softer army than others uh they are they are similar to eldari but they don't have the dice fixing and they have some anti synergies of their own uh, are for the greater good actually works against us on a number of units because splitting fire is actively penalized for no good reason uh our detachment rule does not kick in until turn 3 uh which if you're playing in some armies, the game's already lost at that point. You may not have enough to, to capitalize on it. And uh, we just don't have, like, while there's a couple of things like, ooh, railguns on hammerheads are scary, I d- don't see anyone running them. They're not cost efficient. They're, they've also lost things like the submunitions ability to deal with infantry that they used to have and that Eldari still have with fire prisms because they have a blast mode. Uh, so it's just like, yeah, it's, it's kind of like, uh, it's kind of like Drukari. We are, what if Eldari, but bad. And, oh, and Sororitas, I almost forgot, also another army of what if Eldari, but bad. Um, uh, uh, Sisters, they have similar dice fixing to Eldari, one would think. However, to get those dice, you must die, much like Leagues of Otan. Also with Sisters, their biggest vehicle stuff was Melta. They have so much Melta in the army, which does nothing now. Yeah, uh, even their, like... The the biggest thing, the Castigator Battle Cannon and the Exorcist Missile Launcher cap out at Strength 10, which isn't enough. You need Strength 12. You need right. Strength 12 to consistently do anything. And even with the Miracle Dice that you can fix, well, I can tell you hardly anybody's taking Battle Sisters in their uh, Sisters Armies, which means you don't get enough Miracle Dice from sitting on objectives. Like, when I first saw it, I was like, oh, well, that makes Sisters work. Man, no, it doesn't. It doesn't. They're too, they are too fragile. They die too quickly. And you don't quite have the mobility. You don't have the toughness. You don't have well, the firepower. And that's something I'll, I'll bring up is with the increase in toughness for vehicles, some of the guns did get increased strength, it feels like. Um, and toughness three just means everyone's just wounding you to death because mm-hmm. th- there's a big jump between three and four. Yeah, there is. Um, and then we've discussed the issues with leagues of Votan already. Oh, there, there's no, there's even more. I mean, <laughs> this goes back to the, the, the whole leader thing. Cause I, I was just flipping through things. I'm like, pioneers should be good. I mean, there's a lot of things that should be good, but like, I can't put a character in a vehicle. Cause like the, 
Iron Master has his ECOGs with him. So he's technically five models. Uh, even the uh, Grimner has the Corv. So he's three models. And so if you put them with like a unit, well, that's, I can split them if I put them in a vehicle, except you can't put a character in the vehicle because there's not enough space in the vehicle anymore. So that that's a problem if you're trying to like balance things out there. At least Tau fixed that by making drones unnecessary to have on the table, which <laughs> is its own weird issue. Like it makes things play faster, but it, there is feels like something lost when you don't actually have to have your gun drones or like the sniper drones for your marksmen don't actually need to be on the table. They don't exist. They have no game purpose. So nobody uses them. Like, why would you? They're right. Uh, and and I, I'll toss this feels like also a difference between casual play versus competitive. Cause I remember in like my first game with Voton versus Tyranids, the Tyranid guy was surprised that Voton were so hardy. Cause we're tough five or six on our, or just our, our, troops and stuff and it was hard for the tyrannids to chew through until he got his big guys in there and then well they, they have s- such big weapons that they had no problems with it but if you had just like your battle line versus your battle lines that's a fair fun fight d- d- probably no matter what codex you do uh, it's just the fact that the meta is very vehicle heavy or big thing heavy because those are the things that don't die. And so the only way to counteract those is to also have your own big things. And as we've noted, not every codex's big things are equal if they even have some. Yeah. Um, I mean, like, you know, this is, you know, our rundown of like what the MetaWatch article shows, but really what I, what I take away from this is a couple of things. First off, and this is a thing that we have noted in the past and, and we will continue to note in the future, most likely, is that Games Workshop does not play the game the way competitive players play the game. Does not actually play the game the way, uh, the average Warhammer player, I would say, plays the game. Um, they have a very particular kind of casual, more narrative style in mind, and that does not match how the game tends to shake out. Uh, and a lot of that is because while there's a lot of garage hammer uh, that is played and uh, we, we like the hardcore competitive player is actually a very small minority. Most people are getting games in match play what you know pick up games and match play and match play leads to a particular style of game and a t- particular style of army building and i don't think games workshop necessarily takes that into account when they design rules the other thing i that absolutely comes to mind looking at this is these rules were not all designed by the same rules writers there it feels like there was no coordination between like the rule, like whoever wrote the rules for Mechanicus and Death Guard and Votan, did not write the rules for Eldari and Gene Steeler Cults and Knights, or they did and they hate those other factions. Which I mean, I don't want it. I don't want that to be the takeaway I get from it. So instead, I'll go with the less conspiratorial. There were several rule writers in the room, and they were given armies, and they had very different philosophies. They went off to write them, then they turned them all in, and they just go with it. You know, they, I, I, this does not feel like there was much in the way of play testing. And this feels like it makes 10th edition feel like not even a beta test early access alpha code. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there, 
it's very possible that there were playtest groups, but like that stuff that, you know, was on the top was in one group and, you know, the stuff that's in the middle was another group and the, and the stuff that's on the bottom was in another group. So, like, I, they, not enough playtesting. I was say, or another thought is in playtesting, they have to test all the units. And from what we've seen, a lot of competitive goes to not all the units, but what are the best units. And they probably didn't have enough time to test all the units and test, well, what happens if we just have the best of the units? And then it goes to the fact of, well, if we're only going to use the best of the units, why have these other units? Because we have models for them is the reason. Yeah. <laughs> But one, let's see, you've got one, two, 26 factions listed here. Some of those factions have access to two detachments. And some of those factions have 200 plus data cards or units. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, if, if they did this starting, like, they would have had to start to have this properly play tested. They would have had to start developing this the second ninth edition was released. We know they didn't. They were probably starting this in the last year of ninth, which makes me feel like the edition is th this is very rushed. And they, I imagine they did the unit rules last because the core rules feel fine. Like we've had this discussion, you know, we 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 led in with this. The core rules feel fine. There's a couple of issues, but they feel fine. The unit rules do not. Um, they are well. They're just say, bad. If, if you look at each unit in a vacuum, each a lot of the units by themselves feel fine. It's just when you put them all together. Yeah. No, they did not <laughs> test for synergy, really, and that's they didn't test for synergy. They didn't test or for balance. balance. Yeah. Yeah. It's been a it's been a while since we've mentioned a uh, an Arbiter Ian video, but uh, there was one that came came up about a year ago where he he like investigates like how many things finger quotes there are to balance in 40k and like taking into account all of the different units different rules sub factions stratagems i don't remember exactly the number he comes up with but it's like exponentially bigger than uh yeah okay so actually i'm skipping ahead in the video uh he by that measure like he's comparing it to a couple other games so in chess there are seven things to balance in Magic, there's about 2,200 things to balance. And in Warhammer, there's about 4,700 items to balance. So, like, yeah, when you're doing a new edition, when you're releasing, when you're making these changes, there's a lot that has to... Especially when you decided to do a full reset, there's a lot that has to go into that. A lot of playtesting, a lot of things that have to be balanced. And it's not surprising that things didn't get balanced correctly. This has been a particularly egregious, like the, the outliers in this case, I think, have been particularly egregious. But you, you always expect there will be some some outliers as we first start. And then hopefully as they, you know, as GW is progressing with their meta watch and they're reviewing the stuff and they're doing the balance updates, that they'll close those gaps. And I will say at least, you know, it, it this feels like the worst launch of an edition, like balance wise that we've had. But I think part of the reason why it kind of feels that way is because GW is actually like putting information out there and we see how bad it is, you know? So I don't know that the launch of seventh edition or sixth edition was, was worse or better because like nobody was talking about it from that. We weren't getting like these, 
Dean's numbers out there. So like, I think the fact that they're being transparent about this gives me hope to balance it in the future and to like fix it going forward. You know, I, I like I say, cause I, I don't really have an accurate comparison of like how, how good the, the balance was of fifth edition when it launched because they just didn't put those numbers out there and there wasn't being collected in the same way. I mean, I could see that, but at the same time, there's some stuff that's so egregious that you you know this is not balanced. Like mostly, I'll say just Eldar and Gene Stiller cults. But my takeaway from this is give each edition more time because I thought Ninth was getting to a balance point, and with this shakeup, it kind of just totally. Turned it everything completely on its head. upended that, yeah. Right, and it's probably, in my opinion, going to be a year or two until things get to a good balanced state. And in, if they go every two years, then that's when they're going to shake it up again. And that's... I would love to have at least a full year of balance before yeah. the yeah. upheaval happens. <laughs> well, like, one of the things that, that we talked about when we first started this edition, I was like, I don't know if Thien's changes to the core rules... And the changes to the design aesthetics are enough to like wipe the slate clean and start over. And I still kind of don't know that. Like, I don't know that it was worth throwing everything out to up the toughness of vehicles and change the way leaders worked. Like that that stuff almost feels like it could have just been done in, you know, FAQs or in codexes. And like, I don't know. Like, yeah. Yeah, I, I definitely agree that it feels like they've they didn't have enough time to kind of work on this and fully test it. And I, and I think that is because of the shortness of the edition cycles. Yeah. And, uh, I, if one of the goals was to remove bloat, uh, they've done it in some places, but they moved the bloat to individual units rather than at the stratagem and, and army rule level. I'll, like I do feel I'll like armies, still... our army rules are simpler. It's easier to understand what an army can do, but there's a lot to juggle with the individual units. He's well, doing something special. Prior to ninth edition, all the units had a special ability. So they're in my mind, just putting it back to where it belonged. That's fair. But uh, yeah, I feel like, yeah, I'm kind of with you, Kevin. I don't know if the changes we got are worth the absolute garbage fire of balance that we have right now. And I'm also frustrated that I understand they want to collect data, but it's hard when the community has noticed this within the first month. Like by mid-July, the community was aware that the, what the issues were, and GW is being very slow and methodical. To the point where we're not going to get a balance update until mid-September. Like, they've already said, like, early to mid-September, they want to do it after Nova Open, which I understand. They want to collect more data. They don't want to upset army building because Nova's in, like, two weeks. I get that. But at the same time, it's like, I'm going to be absolutely honest. After Show Me Showdown and seeing, the, you know, more information on what the, the gameplay field was like... Other than playing, you know, thousand point games with Richard, uh, I'm taking a break from playing 40K. I'm taking a break until September when I can see what the balance update is, because right now playing at a tournament, there's enough matchups where if I get paired off against like Eldari or Knights or Gene Steeler Colts or Custodes, I'm just going to like good game. Like there's no point in playing because I'm not going to win. 
because I do not have the tools to compete. And that's sad. That's that's not where I want to be. But unless I want, like, I could start building my, the Eldari army. Craft World Waifu has been requested by more than more people. But at the same time, it's like, I'm not packing what I, what I have is an, other than the avatar is not the good stuff. Like, I'm not, so even my Eldari list, to the point you were bringing up, Dennis, that, like, there's, you know, a few good things in the Eldari Codex, and a lot is getting left behind. The stuff I'd be bringing is primarily the left behind stuff. And it's not, like, it's not like I'm going to win with that, but I'll probably have a better chance of winning than I would if I was playing Tau or Sisters, but that's, I don't want to, I don't want to do that just to have a chance to win, and I want to take kind of take my time with it. So I'm going to take my time by taking a break and actually looking at other things like Kill Team and Warcry, because those seem like they'll be more fun uses of my time. And I, Cyberpunk that's, Combat Zone. Yeah, I'm kind of eyeing that <laughs> one too. The the Necromunda that Necromunda wishes it could be. But uh, yeah, it's I, just go ahead. I say I hear that, Rob, but. I'm under the thing of, thankfully, I should knock on wood now. The people, I, I found a store down here and also said the new people are getting into the game that I'm able to play the casual games. And like you said, your games with Richard are still fun. My casual games with this, when, when people aren't bringing hyper competitive lists, they're fun. So it, it's, I, I think the game's still fine. It's just, it's not fine for competitive and hyper competitive play. Yeah. But unfortunately, for a lot of the gameplay in this area, people are primarily playing it as a at a tournament level game because that's what they practice for. That's what they're they're looking for. There's a lot of competitive play in KC right now, and if you're not in that top bracket of armies, um, and I would I would go so far as to include basically everything from Death Watch up. If you are not one of those like eight armies you're going to have a really rough go of it. And considering Mm -hmm. most of my armies are in the bottom bracket, I'm not going to have a good time. So I'm, it's not, it's not an effective use of my time. And that's, that's a sad thing to say, because even like in eighth and ninth edition, when Tau like weren't on top, I still felt like I could, I could have a pretty solid chance of going four and four or three and three at an event. And I don't feel like I can right now. Like I, no matter, I could play a perfect game and I will, I could still easily lose because if I just Mm -hmm. compare, because I I was looking at my win rate over the last two events I played in and it was four and seven, three of those games were against Eldari. I, if I, they weren't against Eldari, I would, I would have a good chance. I wouldn't say I would definitely be rocking a better record, but I would have felt like I had a better chance. I but against those armies, like all those games were done by the middle of turn three. That's not a good place to be in. So, yeah. Uh, and f- from what I've seen from other people, that it's like the balance of the game is actually depressing people's willingness to play. Uh, we were having a conversation offline about, uh, or I guess, you know, on chat about um, like, is this going to depress numbers for Nova Open? And Kevin, you're like, well, no, they've already paid for their tickets. Um, you know, if they're yeah. if they've already they're already in, they're in. But I have a feeling, like, within the next month or so, like, I would not be surprised if we start seeing depressed numbers for events from like the next month or so. 
Yeah, like for for smaller events, and like a lot of events are smaller than Nova. So like the the big events, LVO, Nova, the the Warhammer Opens, Adepticon, they're they're large enough that they're going to have people signing up for those events regardless of how what the game state is like at least in the short term like lvo is completely sold out like for the four the 40k championship already so like those events will be fine mid-tier events like midwest conquest or stuff like that like that are coming up you know in the next couple months those are gonna those might struggle because yeah people who buy their tickets the month of you know and don't you know or something like renegade open where it's like yeah you know we're gonna buy our tickets in October for a November event. Yeah, they may struggle this year because those events don't have the like critical mass of people are going to show up regardless uh, to the same level that like Nova or some of these other big events do. So like, I, I don't specifically think this is going to impact Nova in the slightest, but Nova's large enough to, to ro- largely, I think avoid that, that type of stuff, but smaller events, they're going to absolutely struggle. Yeah. I think we're. I think after a couple of months of of the the play and at all sizes of events, what we're seeing, like the results are kind of shaking out the same way. Yeah, I've I have a feeling that it's we're we're going to be in kind of a downturn for a bit until Games Workshop can get these issues resolved, and we won't know until sep- mid to late September whether the changes they make a are going to be large enough to really move the needle in a meaningful way and B are going to move it quickly enough, or if they're just going to have to turn around. Cause they said like, well, we only want to do balanced data slates like twice a year and we'll do points updates quarterly. And I think one of the issues with points is, you know, we, we mentioned this a little bit in army building is like, I think by removing some of the granularity, they've lost a lot of what they can do with that lever. Like, you know, you look at, you know, units like the Lehman Russ, it's like they've overcosted it because they had to take all the weapon options into account, but they're not all created equal. But now they can't, like, short of what Richard talked about of splitting out the units into different data sheets, they don't have the option to make certain builds cost more than others without breaking away from that point system that they've set up. And maybe they're willing to do that, but we don't know. And it would be a big step back if they do, because suddenly, like, all the points building tools that people have been developing are now not going to work right. And their own app might be problematic because we saw what kind of issues they had with the last app. And this one has been better, but we don't know how to handle things like if options cost more points or not. And right now, other than Shadow Shadow Spectre Exarchs, we don't have any examples of that. So I am worried, you know, Richard, you mentioned they kind of painted themselves into a corner and I... I fear they might have. So, yeah. Uh, I mean, faction balance. I mean, th- three Fs and a D plus from us. This is this is a bad one, and it's a bad. It like I ran these, like I ran some of these through, like a, a like if we were actually getting somebody a grade point average. The addition comes out between the four of us to around a B minus. Because there's some, there's a lot of things that they have done right. Even my grades, which were probably the harshest, come out to a B minus, like a low B minus, but a B minus. Even with the faction balance being an F, and I even played around with like, what if I weighed it two or three times? And the worst I could get it down to was like a C plus. Because there's a lot of other things they've done right, but that faction balance is misleadingly 
a small part of the grade because that will absolutely sink this game. People will it stop will. playing. So, I, I mean, what would have to carry it then would be like you noted the Garage Hammer, which is probably they they still say it's the majority, but it's the silent majority, so you're not going to hear from them. But on the mid to low tier are units. I think they play out fine. It's just like we said, when you get to the bigger units and stuff, I mean, I'll say even like at the last event I was at here, uh, one of the guys made a comment like, yeah, my, my gaming group said I had to like not bring competitive lists to our, our sessions anymore. Cause I was like just pounding them with it. I'm like, yeah. And that goes back to the, the social contract of, Knowing what your group is, what you want to do, and what you want to get out of the game, and they were more, hey, let's just have lower-powered games where we can just have fun. So I think GW definitely nailed that part for 10th edition, but then when it comes to the higher-level play, I, I think they totally missed the target. Yeah. Well, I think really what it comes down to is this, the middle for everything is pretty good, but the floor is too low and the ceiling is way too high on unit power like individual unit power and army power. Like the, the, the difference between the most powerful and the least powerful is way too huge, even within codexes. So let's hope they can address it. So yeah, the, the addition comes out to a, a B minus, but that is a B minus with uh, detention and see me after class notes. Um, <laughs> so uh, there will, the, there's going to be a parent teacher conference after this quarter. Like uh, little Billy is not living up to his potential and he has <laughs> some behavioral issues that we need to address. His grades are surprisingly good, but um, he's failing gym. Flags. Yeah. There's some red flags and we should see a counselor. So, <laughs> but yeah i think that, that that wraps up this look at the first quarter of uh of 10th edition hopefully september we'll see a new quarter and we can finish up that semester strong maybe pull up that faction balance grade a bit without sacrificing the rules accessibility new player accessibility and uh those grades because those are important grades too and uh hopefully you can fix one without tanking the others but uh, we will we will see what the future brings. Uh, until then, uh, from all of us here at Preferred Enemies, I'm your host Rob, Kevin, Dennis, and Richard. Good night, good gaming, and GW study and get those grades up. Preferred Enemies is an Undergopher Radio production and is licensed under Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Sharealike 3.0 Unported License. Our theme music is Metal Slug 2 Super Vehicle 001-2, No Need to Reload, originally by Takushi Hayamuda and remixed by Roataka, courtesy of OC Remix. It can be found at ocremix.com.